Hello, and welcome to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalists. We are a vibrant liberal religious community that treasures diversity, practices justice, and teaches love and respect for everyone. We grow spiritually through worship, shared learning and service, and relationships that go deep. As we say each Sunday, whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever your image of the holy, your presence here is a gift. All are worthy, all are welcome. Universalist hybrid worship service. Whether you are in our sanctuary or participating online, we're so glad you're here. It's so nice to see the sanctuary fill up, it really is. If you'd like to follow along with the order of service, please visit the wuu.org website and find the link on the right side in the Sunday service information to view one. If you're visiting today, we offer you a special welcome. If you're on Zoom, feel free to say hello in the chat. If you'd like to sign up for our email list, please fill out our online visitor form on the website. And our announcement today is that our membership book will be open for signing today in person and virtually. If you have completed starting point sessions one and two, are transferring from another UU congregation, or are a young person who has completed the coming of age class, we welcome you to come forward at the end of the service to sign the membership book, signifying your commitment to WUU. If you're joining via Zoom, please announce your interest in the Zoom chat when prompted towards the end of the service, and you will be added to a special breakout group. Sign and signify your commitment to WUU. And now, please enjoy our prelude for Roger and Beverly, written and performed by David Hamilton.
Thank you, David. Again, welcome. Here at WUU, we are committed to being an anti-racist, anti-oppressive congregation. We work to ensure that all people are treated with dignity, fairness, and equity. We welcome you from the lands of the original inhabitants, including the Powhatan, Chickahominy, and Mattapanai. We have proudly earned the designation of a green sanctuary and pledged to consider the environmental impact of our actions, honoring our spiritual connection to the earth and all living things. We are happy that you have joined us, whether you have come seeking comfort, encouragement, or inspiration, you belong here. You are seen here. Now I invite you to join in saying our welcoming words. The words are projected on the screen. Please, as you say these words, know that we are connected and this is your community, no matter where you are. Come, come, whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever your image of the holy, your presence here is a gift. All are worthy, all are welcome. Our opening hymn is uh, 1053 in the Teal Hymnal. The words will also be projected on the screen. We will sing it twice through. introduce our guest speakers for today, Leslie and Deborah Fabian. The Fabians are longtime UUs. In fact, Leslie's parents joined the Unitarian Church in Tampa, her hometown, when she was in fifth grade. Deb's from Doylestown, Pennsylvania, where she grew up a Presbyterian. She's been drawn to UUism since discovering the Provincetown, Massachusetts Church in the 80s. 
which is still in existence, by the way. Most, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. They, they feed the homeless in the wintertime, I know. I have a friend that lives there in the winter. Most recently, the couple were members of the Unitarian Universalist Society of Gardner, Massachusetts, and they quickly joined WUU after moving to Williamsburg in October 2021. They've just moved, and I mean just, into their newly renovated condominium at Claiborne here in town. The Fabians have been married for 31 years, and it's a second marriage for them both. For their first 20 years, they were known as David and Leslie. However, in 2009, it became clear that David would never be happy or fulfilled as a man, and the transition began. Deborah emerged full-time in 2011. Leslie and Deb have a combined family of six grown children, five of whom are married, and they are thrilled to be the grandparents of four little ones, all under the age of four. <laughs> Unfortunately, all offspring live in the states of Colorado and Utah, but Leslie and Deb plan to visit often. Please accept a Fabian's apology for any pronoun confusion that may occur as they speak. They will use the name David and the pronouns he, him, and his leading up to 2011, shifting to Deborah, she, her, and hers at the time of the transition. Like most of you, they struggle with this challenge. And we're going to light the chalice now. Oh, we have a call to worship. Oh, now we have the call to worship. <laughs> um, we're not lighting it right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good morning. Oh, spinner, weaver of our lives, your loom is love. May we who are gathered here be empowered by that love to weave new patterns of truth and justice into a web of life that is strong, beautiful, and everlasting. And now, we'll light the chalice. <laughs> At times, our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude for those who have lighted the flame within us. And Austin Peterson will read a story. Thank you so much, Deb. As I was standing outside greeting folks, I was holding this book called You Matter. And Anjali said to me, I have that book. And so I asked her, well, do you want to help me read it? And, I, and she said, very graciously, yes. So Anjali, I would like to invite you up here now to help me read this book. Yay. Hooray! A round of applause. <laughs> Say hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, no, I think that'll, yeah. So the book is You Matter. And thank you so much. This is the first picture. You want to read this part? Mm -hmm. Say it into the microphone right here. The small stuff, too small to see. 
the next picture. Those who swim with the tide and those who don't. You're doing great. Thank you. The first to go and the first and the last, you matter. Mm, you matter. When everyone thinks you're a past. When something is just out of reach. Ooh, when something's just out of reach. Can you see the dinosaurs? When everyone is too busy to help, you matter. If you fall down, we all fall down sometimes. If you have to start again, even if you're really gassy, you meddle. Sometimes when for when home is far away. Can you imagine how far away that would feel? Step just a little closer to the mic, Good job. Sometimes someone you love says goodbye. Sometimes you feel lost and alone, but you matter. Old and young. The first to go and the last. The small stuff too small to see. You meddle. You matter. May we all know and say to each other, and I'm going to give you an invitation now. Would you please turn to your neighbor and say, you matter. You matter. Can I get a high five? Nice. <laughs> thank you so much, Anjali. And thank you so much. And now at this time, the kids and youth and I will go outside to play. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body 
love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Mary Oliver. I invite you to return to that space of quiet within you and call on the holy in whatever words and images are most dear to you as we enter into a shared silence. Each Sunday, we make an offering from the bounty we are blessed to enjoy. We do so in the spirit of generosity and in recognition of our ongoing commitment to serve our world and share our values. If you're joining us for the first time, please feel free to give if you wish, and also know that your presence is gift enough. Today's offering goes to the, our general operating fund to help cover all of those essential things like staff salaries and building maintenance, as well as the activities that are important to all of us, from social justice initiatives to crayons for our children. You can donate in several ways. You can give to the website. You can give by text the dollar amount to the phone number on the screen, mail your check to the church, or drop it in the basket in the entrance hall after the service. Thank you so much.
you to know that that song, Everything Possible, is in the Teal um, songbook if you'd like to reread those words. It's such a beauty. Well, from my book. Imagine having a secret about yourself, <clears throat> one so huge and shameful that you've hated it for as long as you can remember. So far, you've kept it at bay and have done everything right throughout your life. Dressed acceptably, played sports, excelled in school, married your high school sweetheart. You've had children, become successful in the world, far surpassing average, and mastered a variety of skills and talents. For all intents and purposes, your life appears ideal. But year after year, regardless of accomplishments and appearances, happiness eludes you. Eventually, you begin to know for certain what stands in the way of satisfaction and joy is that dreadful secret which demands to be revealed, insisting to be acknowledged in some as yet unknown way. This scenario summarizes the first 40 years of David Fabian's life. The pain and contempt for being transgender of wishing he could be female drove him nearly to suicide. And the impulse continued to plague him as we navigated the choppy waters of freeing Deborah. This is Pride Month, something I didn't realize till I was actually putting this together a few days ago. Pride Month uh, comes in June uh, in commemoration of the Stonewall Inn Uprising in, in uh, 1969. This followed several years of harassment and arrests and beatings of GLBT people at the Stonewall Inn in New York City. This really marked the beginning of the gay rights movement in the United States. So I looked up pride, and um, many of the references to pride have to do with pride cometh before a fall and the, the negative connotations that many groups give to the, to the term pride. But pride is about taking a positive stance against discrimination and violence toward LGBT people. It's not just, pride is not just for the LGBT, LGBT people in this world, it is for its allies, and it's actually for everybody. Pride means to promote self-affirmation, dignity, equality. It, it means increasing the visibility as a social group, building community, 
and celebrating sexual diversity and gender variance. Wikipedia describes pride as confidence and self-respect as expressed by a group, typically one that has been socially marginalized on the basis of their shared identity, culture, and experience. Encyclopedia Britannica says, pride is a feeling that you respect yourself and deserve to be respected by other people. For most of my life, the thought that I could be proud of who I am was the furthest thing from my mind. From my youngest days, I wanted to be a girl. I felt good when I snuck into my sister's room and put on her clothes secretively. But I knew very clearly that it was wrong. I knew that I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I was totally closeted, and I became very good at keeping secrets perhaps even keeping secrets from myself. In medical school in the 1970s, I had a psychiatry rotation. And early on that rotation, a transgender patient, now at that point called transsexuals, uh, attempted suicide. And the, the psychiatric resident with whom I was working commented, I remember his exact words. It's too bad he didn't kill himself. He is really screwed up. So I looked up tra transsexuality in the psychiatry textbooks and discovered it was, in quotes, and these are the direct words, a serious psychiatric condition. And I knew that I had to keep that secret to myself. The first time I came very close to suicide was a few years after that. I was a resident in surgery uh, in New Hampshire. My ex-wife was away. She wasn't at the time uh, ex, but she was, is now. She was away, and I was able to cross-dress secretly at home. And one day, one evening, I felt bold enough. I got in the car, drove to a town a number of miles away, got out of my car simply to walk across the street and pretend to be mailing a letter. Someone saw me, called the police, I got arrested, I was strip searched, and put in jail. So I was virtually naked in the jail cell with makeup on my face, and they said they'd be back shortly to take my mug shots. So I knelt in front of that toilet in the jail cell, washed my face in the toilet water, because I felt better, that would be better than having makeup on for my mug shots. I was released later that night to determine that I had not broken any laws, so I was let free. I went home, actually stopped by my hospital on the way, wrote myself a prescription for pills, and I looked at them for the next several days, and I think that the only reason I didn't take them was that I had a one-year-old daughter at the time. Excuse me. So I saw a psychiatrist a few days later and told him that I was, I didn't even know the terms, I was transsexual. And he said, anytime you feel like cross-dressing in the future, reenact kneeling down in front of the toilet and I'm sorry. Recreate the act of washing your face in a toilet. And that worked. Took a lot of alcohol 
to get me through it. But the feelings never went away. And at least two other times shortly thereafter, I had a gun to my head because this feeling would not go away. I knew it was wrong. My ex-wife told me I was disgusting, and I agreed. Pride for me was not even a word in my vocabulary. Needless to say, this is a rather painful subject when we remember the past. When I met David Fabian in 1987, he was dressed in women's clothes. He'd agreed to speak to my women's group, so I knew from the get-go that this man was unusual. The women in my circle, mostly psychotherapists, had almost no knowledge of the transgender phenomenon back then. So few people did. We were there to learn more from our hostess and her guests, who were four of her clients who'd agreed to come and talk with us. Little did I know that I'd be wildly attracted to the trans woman in the purple dress. <laughs> but Cupid, or some mysterious universal force, was present that evening. Oddly, it didn't seem to matter to me that David Fabian, calling himself Debbie, was presenting in such an unusual fashion. He'd told us that he was a cross-dresser who'd always wanted to wear women's clothes. What captivated me and drew me in was, were, and again, here's the pronoun conundrum, were his vulnerability and willingness to try explaining something that perhaps no one truly understands. For over three decades at that point, he'd resisted, fought, and attempted to purge himself of this dreadful secret longing. Yet he'd finally realized that the desire would not be dismissed, that the only way to find his elusive happiness was to discover a way to embrace it. I so appreciated that there was nothing artificial about this being. If he couldn't answer a question after thoughtful consideration, he'd simply say that he didn't know, but I could almost see the mental wheels turning as he attempted to clarify. And the joy he was expressing was palpable. Finally, here was authenticity. David Fabian had never allowed, and he was now welcoming it and coming out to the world, or a tiny portion of it anyway. Now, lest you think that the next 20 years were all ease and grace, <laughs> I hasten to dispel that delusion. If you imagine that David readily accepted Deborah's presence and joyfully moved toward expressing full fem femininity until finally, voila, she became a full-time woman in the world, please put that magical thinking aside. <laughs> we did, however, move erratically toward combining our lives into a marriage in 1991. We were challenged in myriad ways, including six offspring between us, aged 19 to four, step-parenting, crazy ex-spouses, and David's lifelong shame. After a divorce for each of us, we were committed to being as healthy and whole as possible and working to ensure that our marriage was outstanding. Yet despite much personal growth work, individual and couples counseling, and workshops to better our relationship, 
David's shame persisted. It was clear that self-acceptance and self-love were entirely up to my spouse. It had nothing to do with me or anyone else and what we could do or say. David had been mystified by my ready acceptance and willingness to support his cross-dressing, which, by the way, we, we both thought that was the limit at that point in time. He never believed it was possible he could live as a woman full-time. What I believe I recognized that first evening was this amazing person tasting real freedom for the first time, touching on an authenticity he or she had never known in 38 years. My own life had provided comparative experiences with negative self-judgment and profound unhappiness. Just five months prior to our meeting, the second of my three siblings had taken her own life, compounding the loss of my younger brother to suicide 14 years before that. As I told David when he questioned my acceptance of his differences, you know what people in my family have done because of unhappiness, and I might add mental illness. If it makes you happy to put on a dress, put on a dress. So what else could I do? I put on a dress. <laughs> I'm going to jump back a few years. In 1986, before I met Leslie, I did find my therapist, a woman who specialized in transgender clients. And on my first visit with her, I was about as paranoid, scared, wimpy as any person could possibly be. I, her office was about 30 miles from my office, and I drove a circuitous route, making sure nobody was following me. I got to her uh, apartment complex and drove by it, waited to make sure nobody was there. I parked several blocks away and snuck in. Uh, just a tad paranoid, I think. Working with her was wonderful. It was painful, but she, she did give me the compliment of saying that I was her most difficult client as far as letting, <laughs> letting go. This progress required an entirely new way of looking at myself. At Neela, my therapist's urging, I went to Fantasia Fair, which is a yearly uh, gathering of transgender people held in Provincetown, Massachusetts. And I went there absolutely afraid, figuring everybody in Provincetown was either crazy or looking to kill me. During that weekend, I went to the UU Church in Provincetown, my first experience at a UU Church. This was in the middle of the uh, 1980s, and uh, Provincetown UU Church uh, participated in a hospice for AIDS patients. And during the service, they read the names of five or six people who had died of AIDS that week, And I had snuck in and sat in the back corner, making sure nobody saw me, but I sat there and wept as I saw the uh, emotion and the caring from that congregation. My therapist then invited me to her house, as Leslie described, uh, to present to her women's group. And over the next several years, I discovered that I could be loved anyway. And I 
think we have an incredible marriage. However, despite being able to cross-dress without restrictions, I was becoming increasingly depressed. I, we, again, we talked about everything uh, we shared, but I could not shake depression. Uh, I went to uh, various therapists. I took probably seven or eight different antidepressants over the next several years, but nothing worked. Now, I transitioned 10, 10 and a half years ago. I stopped the, the antidepressants cold turkey, and I have not looked back. I'm happy. And I recognize that I am not a paragon of mental health, but I finally feel like I'm living as myself. Well, Deborah said she thinks we have an incredible marriage, and I know we have an incredible marriage. One of the many blessings in my life, of my life, is that I'm someone who actually loves change. <laughs> I'm a seven on the Enneagram, in case any of you are familiar with the Enneagram, which is known as the adventurer. This is why I was able to end my first marriage. After 12 years and two kids, just nine and six years old at the time, I was able to envision a better life. Without a man, I'd loved as deeply as a 20-year-old bride can love, but who recognized the dead end that we'd reached after our 12 years. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm retired now. And I see this welcoming of change and newness in my own life as an essential component of encouraging others to look within, as well as at their outer lives, and make friends with the changes that will better those lives. Needless to say, this enabled me, 35 years ago, to look at this unique individual, right there, and see beyond the outer trappings. I saw a beautiful being, struggling to free herself from a cocoon of judgment and shame, placed there by family, society, and perhaps most profoundly by herself. I was irresistibly attracted perhaps mirrored by a bright soul fighting to be as free and joyful as I had become. It wasn't long before I knew that my life would be more complete with this beloved one in it. With whatever tribulations that might bring, and there have been plenty as in any marriage. <laughs> and I'd like to conclude by reading from my book again, Excerpts from the letter that I sent to family and close friends one year after Deb's emergence in 2011. And it begins with a quote from Robert Louis Stevenson. Who said, to be what we are and to become what we are capable of becoming is the only end of life. October 2012, dear ones, it has now been a year since David became Deborah, and it seems that an update is in order. The nature of Deborah's and my relationship continues to transform and defies definition or naming, so we simply don't bother to label it. 
Understandably, our process has been challenging at times, though our love has not abated. To see Deborah's joy at finally being true to herself is a most gratifying experience for me, and I couldn't feel more loved by her. The response of the medical staff to Dr. Deborah's emergence has been overwhelmingly positive. And, of course, her happiness enhances every aspect of her life. Will you be talking about your struggles with employment after? Okay, I'll leave that to Deb, because that changed dramatically. Praise for Deborah's courage has been abundant. Many people have shared heartwarming stories of healing old wounds with family and friends as a result of reading the touching letter that Deborah sent to patients last fall. The community continues to embrace us, and we are moved beyond words by the miraculous acceptance of this change. Deb's parents were told of the transition shortly after it occurred, and when I asked what my mother-in-law thought of her new daughter, Debbie said, and she was 95 at the time, we kept, <laughs> I, oh, we have so much to say. <laughs> we kept thinking that Deb's parents were going to die, actually. They were in their mid-90s, and what would we tell them? Finally, we told them, and they were still alive, <laughs> both of them. Um, Deb's parents were told of the transition shortly after it occurred. When asked what she thought of her new daughter, Dottie said, I've decided to love the person on the inside. At 96, okay, at that point, she is incredibly supportive, really quite amazing. Sadly, Deb's father, Bob, passed away in March, so we'll never know his long-term response. Mostly, he seemed confused about it. Among his last words to his former son were, you're David, aren't you? To which Deb simply said, uh-huh. You need a haircut. <laughs> All of our children, and there are six, as I said, and five are married, as you were told, five are married, bless their hearts, are sticking with us. They have risen above any fears and concerns they initially had, and we are proud of them and so very grateful. Writing has become my passion and full-time work, and it's been a great source of relief and release for me as I've navigated these uncharted waters. I am nearing completion of a book about all of this with the working title, It's My Transition Too. I was trying to make sure people knew that this is not just about Deborah and it changes my life entirely. This book has emerged as our love story. And it's not called My Transition to, but <laughs> perhaps you'll enjoy reading about this amazing experience. Please stay in touch if you are so inclined. With our love and appreciation to all, Leslie. Bless you. We love you. Be peaceful. Be well. But we live in the real world, and discrimination exists. My practice did slowly dwindle. I looked at over 100 jobs, 
Uh, and prior to my transition, I changed jobs twice in 30-some years. And each time I looked at five or six jobs, I got five or six job offers. Out of 100 jobs or so, I got zero job offers. One, uh, right before or as the early part of the transition, I applied for a job in Connecticut, which was gonna be a wonderful situation. I applied in, at my mail self, uh, interviewed, was offered a job, signed the contract, and because I knew I would be showing up to work the first day as Deborah, I wanted them to know. I did not want to be dishonest, so I went down to the hospital, told a group of surgeons, and three weeks later, I got a call saying they decided they didn't want me. Uh, and despite a signed contract, uh, they made up lies about me. They uh, told me I was, I was through. Now, at this point, I was beginning to come, become angry. I contacted a lawyer, we, long story, but we filed a lawsuit, and five and a half years later, we won. And that lawsuit, I'm proud to say, was part of the Supreme Court case in 2020, which uh, declares that under the 1964 Civil Rights Code, Title IX, it's illegal to discriminate against anyone because of race, religion, sex, a um, few other things. Sex was actually interestingly thrown in at the last minute because a senator from Virginia thought it would get the whole bill thrown out, uh, but it uh, it backfired on them. And so uh, the, the interpretation of the word sex has been a subject of uh, a lot of debate over the years, and my judge, frankly, put the correct wording on, on it. So I'm actually very proud that I had something to do with a national trend. As I said, I got angry during this time. I got angry when I was lied about in depositions. I was, got angry when I sat through my own 10-hour deposition and was repeatedly attempted, they attempted to belittle me. And I guess that's where pride came in for me. I'm sorry. Gee. That pride, which is a feeling that you respect yourself and you expect others to respect you as well. Now, right now in this country, there is a whole lot going on. I can't open the newspaper or turn on the news or Google anything, which is how I get most of my news, I guess. There's always something about transgender people in, in the uh, world right now. In over a dozen states, it is considered child abuse for a physician to treat a minor with puberty blockers. Now, puberty blockers, uh, just do what they say. They block the uh, onset of puberty, and they're designed, the, the treatment is designed to allow somebody who's seven or eight or ten just prior to puberty, wondering, questioning, they block the physical changes of puberty and allow that person time to make the decision, time to do the mental work, and then not develop the secondary sex characteristics that, frankly, give me away, my voice. I mean, you're very pleasantly nodding, but yeah, I got a deep voice, and on the phone, I'm always asked, sir, and I always either correct or ignore it. Now, despite opposition by the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Medical Association, 
At least 14 states have introduced bills to restrict medical, ac medical care access for transgender kids. I'm just going to read the list of these 14, and there are actually others, but Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Montana, New Hampshire, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and Utah. It's illegal for a physician in those states to give gender-confirming treatment to a transgender child. Other laws have been passed uh, requiring the reporting of kids who may say something at school that they might be transgender. It's the schools are now required to report that to the child's parents. 30 states have introduced bills limiting uh, transgender, trans women participation in sports. There are transgender bathroom bills. I have to, uh, there are states where I can't use the women's room. Almost every day, there's something new in the paper. So there's a project called the Trevor Project, which I've known about in the past, but I came across a, a quote from them. The Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and mental health organization for LGBTQ plus youth. Sam Ames is the director of, the, of advocacy and government affairs for the Trevor Project. And he said that the spate of new laws has already affected trans students regardless of whether they are passed or not. He, he, quote, some of our research has shown that as many as 85% of trans youth say that they are watching these debates over their identity play out. The direct result of these bills, when they pass, when they pass, are to take away things that are now correlated with increased mental health and decreased suicide risk. Sports team participation, seeing yourself represented in the classroom, being accepted by your parents and your physician, these are all associated with significantly lower odds of attempting suicide. The Trevor Project's 2021, last year, national survey found that 42% of LGBT plus youth have seriously considered attempting suicide in the last year. And uh, for transgender and non-binary use, so uh, separating the transgender people, that the number increased to 52%. So I was talking to my own spiritual guide a few days ago, and I was wondering, how do I deal with this? How do I stand up in front of people hoping to end with a, on a positive note when I'm angry at what's going on? She mentioned something about love-based decision-making versus fear-based decision-making. And at 3 o'clock this morning, I was struggling over where to go with this. Do I just drop it and let you decide where you're going to go? So I started thinking, what would Martin Luther King or Gandhi or Mother Teresa do with this who are love-based? And I, a quote from Mother Teresa, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So that may be the best thing I can say. I am becoming, have been, and will continue to be a, an activist in this field. I love the UU Church because of the welcoming congregation. We, we are, we don't pat ourselves on the back enough uh, here at WU. We're a welcoming congregation. 
And that means that we strive for radical inclusion and to create spaces that honor every part of our identities, backgrounds, and experience. And that is why I'm a UU, and that is why I'm here this morning with you and with my beloved. Closing hymn number six, and the um, just as long as I have breath, and, and the gray hymnal, and we need to mask up if we're going to sing. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. Closing words are from Tom Shade, a UU minister in a small work he entitled, A Power at Work in the Universe. My friends, there's a power at work in the universe. It works through human hands, but it was not made by human hands. 
It is a creative, sustaining, and transforming power. And we can trust that power with our lives and with our ministries. It will sustain us whenever we take a stand on the side of love. Whenever we take a stand for peace and justice, whenever we take a risk, trust in that power. We are together held by that power. And please stay seated for a postman. I neglected to add that David Hamilton wrote that. And, and he wrote it for us. It's entitled Possibilities. Thank you, David. concludes this morning's service. Don't forget to come up and sign the membership book if you're ready. <laughs>